This is a pre-recorded version of the WTKA Roundtable <laughs> on WTKA, unsurprisingly, 9 o'clock Thursdays. It is pre-recorded, however, so if you call in, no one will answer. We are back with your American Insider Sports Talk 1050 WTKA online at WTK.com. Sam Webb, Ira Wine, Travel on the other side. And the MGO Blog Roundtable crew is back and a lot to talk about again this week. Glad to be joined by the crew. MGOblog.com, the man that started it all over there, Brian Cook. Brian, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I am entering the NBA draft despite the implausibility of me being selected. <laughs> right. Right, or at least what was seemingly the implausibility. <laughs> sure, right, I, yes. Somebody like, believes in me. Somebody believes in me. I, I believe in you, Brian. Thank I you. Mean, I'm, you got I'm, a guarantee. I've, I've been, you know, watching Brian progress in his tennis game and his bridge game. I mean, he's coming along. He's coming All right. Along. That voice you hear uh, is already here. What did you think about N- Nadal uh, Djokovic uh, there? Craig, give you a little little tidbit. I, you know, I'm a big Nadal fan. I'm not much of a Djokovic fan, so I was very happy. It's sort of surprising that Nadal can can keep cruising along. My tennis coach uh, in town uh, back a number of years ago, when when Nadal was young, said there was no way that any human could continue to play the way Nadal plays and and hold up. That his bo- his body just couldn't hold up playing playing like that and uh he turned out to be wrong because you know he has held up and he is still you know one of the top at worst two or three players in the world maybe he's still the best player in the world i don't know but uh it's remarkable just just quite remarkable because djokovic played well and nadal was just too physical too strong and just beat him up in the end it was Pretty impressive. Uh, It'd be interesting impressive. to see how much he how much he has left in the tank, and that's that's impromptu. That's that's just Craig Ross being versatile, uh, you know, showing his versatility, his sports versatility. There, of course, you also heard another MGO Blog Roundtable voice before the roundtable, and that was Seth Fisher. Seth, how are you this morning? I'm good. I don't think Brian thinks he's going to get drafted. I think he's just sick of playing second banana to me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, guys, uh, Michigan is not playing second banana to anyone in the Big Ten, or at least in the Big Ten tournament, as they won the whole damn thing. It it, it was not out of the um, it was it was not something that heading into the tournament, I think any of us were expecting. But if you listen back to Eric Backage heading into that thing, more than just ordinary coach speak, like you're supposed to go into it thinking you're gonna win, right? Every Every team should think that. But you know when there's a squad, you know as a team, as a coach, oh, man, we probably really don't have it. 
you just got the vi- a different vibe from Eric Backage heading into this one. Like he knew, like we could win this whole damn thing. We just got to figure out this this pitching piece enough to be able to let our bats win it. And Craig, that's exactly what they did. Yeah, it, it, I have to admit, uh, I was pretty surprised. I mean the the team ERA was either last or next to last in the Big Ten at seven point seven six, and they really have, over the course of the year, have had trouble pitching the ball. Now they've hit it, um, you know, and they've hit it from interesting places. Joe Stewart is is maybe the most interesting one to me because he had he was redshirted at Michigan State. Then the next three years, he had 19 total at bats, and now he he's he's looking like maybe this guy has some place in the professional game he's big he's a good defensive player he can play he's a nice outfielder and he's got power and he's got speed and you make michigan state fans so mad they are so mad how do you even find that guy like i didn't know the 19 at bat piece until you just said that how do you even find he he was playing in after he graduated from state uh he was playing in some league in western michigan with a kid named dylan stanton who i think is hurt but is on the michigan team and it looks like maybe a good player and stanton went to bakich and said hey you better look at this guy because i think he can really play and so bakich did and said yeah he can really play let's 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 bring him into the program and i think i think he was going to take a job in texas someplace but uh, after he graduated from state, one of the depressing things to me was he got beamed in the state game. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they, they threw <laughs> at him and they hit him in the head, uh, which seems like a little day class A. Well, I mean, how did that game end? He, uh, I, they yeah. state started it by throw, by throwing at him, right? But I mean, yeah. then he knocked out of the park, ran around the bases, and stomped on the plate. Which, yeah. you know, baseball, more than any other sport, they've got their, like, oh, you don't do that, right? Like, they're, right. they're, they're super secret rules that all baseball players stand by. But Michigan was just breaking every single one of them. They were showing up the pitchers. And every, after that, that sparked Michigan. And I kind of think that started the trajectory upwards for the hitters on this team. Because, uh, I mean, that series... I know it was against State, and they're like the the dregs of the league. But they like, were the probably the worst team. Yeah, but I mean, it was it was a real coming together moment for the team because you know they they're thrown at this guy because they're mad that he transferred to Michigan, and then they're like, well, we'll show you, and they just trounced him. It was beautiful. Yeah, well, but you still, you still got a pitch though, and they go and they get one thing. They get, <laughs> <laughs> you go and get handled, and, and Eric, to his credit, like. Ira said he does not pull any punches, even when it's Michigan. Like, for for instance, you just said, hey, he was stomping on the play and the team was really getting into it. Like, that's Eric, too. I'm sure if you talk to him, he's you get that vibe off of him. But, you know, you, you mentioned that they, they beat Michigan State. Hey, man, you know, you also had in that mix them getting – they gave up, what, 40-something runs or something like that to, to Maryland uh, in that – that second to last series of the season, and, and they had like, that man. nineteen game run against uh, or nineteen run game against Rutgers. Like, keep in mind, Rutgers and Maryland are both good hitting teams. Those are two of the better hitting teams in the country. Nobody has pitching in the Big Ten except for Iowa. Uh, but I mean, yeah, the pitching's pretty. But even before they lost Weiss, the pitching's been bad. But it's a, some. It's been kind of like they have games where they give up four runs, and they get, have games where like just you know. 
the lid comes off. Or they'll be cruising through a game and they'll be like up 5-2 and or they'll be down 5-2 and then all of a sudden the lid comes off at the end. So like the pitching it's survivable. I don't trust it at all, but it's I mean it's no one out there is going to be that good. <laughs> you mean uh, you you're talking about in the NCAA field? Or you're just talking I, about in the Big Ten? Mich- Michigan's pitching, I don't trust at all. And everyone but in the Big Ten, except for Iowa, I think they're pitching, I don't trust either. I would agree. With, I think that's accurate. I mean, what did you guys think about the fact that Rutgers didn't make the tournament and Kevin Warren didn't say a damn thing? I mean, isn't that Kevin Warren's job to be out there whining and complaining about this? I would, I mean, I'm not like a Rutgers fan, but Rutgers got ripped off here. They should be in the NCAA field, and and Kevin Warren should should be out there, you know, shaking his fist at the NCAA, as opposed to say being in the replay booth during a Michigan Michigan State game. It seems to me this might be a better a better uh, point of his existence. So uh, I, I guess I, I guess that you mean to to just you know wave the flag. I mean uh, to to what end? I guess. So at I'm least asking. to show that he's supporting the conference and the teams in the conference. And and it seems to me that Rutgers got ripped off. They should be in the tournament. Um, I mean, and at least it seems to me the head of the conference should have been out there saying, you know, this was wrong. They, you know, and by the way, forget the NCAA. We're forming our own baseball league <laughs> in the summer. Now, I don't expect him to do that. I think he should, but I don't expect it. But at least I think he should whine and complain about about the fact that, you know, the Big Ten got dissed here and Rutgers in particular got got hammered and, and they deserve to be in this tournament. Yeah, maybe it makes a difference in the future. Uh, maybe, yeah. it, it, maybe it placates the, the, the Rutgers masses. Uh, I don't know what he could have done to get him in. And that, that seems to me to be the bigger criticism. That seems to be the bigger criticism. Well, Kevin Warren, uh, you know, he should have gotten Rutgers in is the one that I've seen. I don't know if yeah. he had that authority, but I think he had the authority to whine about it. Yeah, well, he can, yeah, <laughs> he can still do that. Yeah, He can still do that. No, but I mean, that's, that's what Craig's saying, that like if it was Ohio State left out, Kevin Warren would have said something. Absolutely. <laughs> Well maybe, well, maybe it's that. Maybe it's Rutgers that doesn't that's, register. I that's what know. it is. And I, and I understand where Rutgers fans are because Kevin Warren's been like that since we got him. If, Ohio, if it bothers Ohio State even a little bit, he is on it. He is all over it. Whether he can do something about it or not, he is all over it. And it's happening enough now that it's kind of have to look at the guy and be like, hey, man, there's a rest of a conference too. Like It's not just about protecting like one big football franchise. Which I get, like that's their money maker. But like, I mean, Rutgers baseball matters to Rutgers baseball people, and it looks a lot like he's not caring about a lot of things that he should be caring about. Yeah, I, I have another question for all of you. If you have an opinion on this, Michigan pitching—I mean, Michigan pitching was not only bad; some of their guys really went in the tank. Like Weiss this year uh, was not good by and large. But he'd been a really good pitcher for a couple of years. And and then all of a sudden, you know, he's not. He's not even a shadow of what he was, pine tar, no pine tar, last year. And same to some extent, the same for Cam Weston, who was a really nice pitcher in 2021 and not so much this year, not nearly the, the consistency. I mean, is it Chris Fetter? Is it 
I mean, is it something with the baseballs? Do you, I mean, you guys have any instinct at all? Because I find it confusing. Uh, no, I always defer to Ira on the, on the Willie Weiss piece. Yeah. You got any theories on, on Willie? Ira, and I'll share what Eric said before the whole Pine mm -hmm. Tar incident. He said that, hey, man, he had a lot of pressure on him. I think he loaded up with like 18 or 20 credits or something like that. So he could graduate. And so the academic load was okay. was just over the top. And once that was done, uh, once he you know had his degree, that he was he was just free. Uh, and he started pitching a lot better. Now, it, was he using pie entirely? I, I have no idea. I have uh, no idea about any of that. So to add on to that, I don't have a whole lot to add to what Eric said. The credits thing is very plausible to get it. You know, you graduate and you're you have your diploma and you've got just some freedom to play ball. There's a lot of plausible to that. He also, Willie was coming off the last couple of years. He had some uh, lingering issue things that were going on. So if the injuries are better and all that kind of stuff, but I mean, I go back to what you said, Sam, we don't know the one other part of it, which is what led to the suspension. Other uses have there, have there been over the last few weeks? Cause in the last like month, he's been a he, he's batting been average better, against yeah. Willie was like 222 or something or lower than that. He had been great all after graduation, which is why Eric's explanation was plausible. But there's some other things now hanging over it too. I'm curious, what do you guys think of the of of Eric's commentary on that? The way he the way he handled it, the, the question that I know was being somewhat debated at least was, you know, do you do you punish him above and beyond what the uh, you know what the the rules say, which is four game suspension? Uh, but it sounds like that that Eric's not going to do that. But what do you think of the way he he addressed it? Uh, immediately after the fact and then again with us I, well i thought it was fine i mean he said i think he said look uh your children can screw up but it doesn't mean you don't love them and you know and he said this isn't what we we have our kids doing it's not what we want in our program uh he was punished by the ncaa and it's fine the punishment and the punishment was fine as far as we're concerned and i, I thought he handled it Right. I mean, I think Sam, you or Ira said that, you know, most coaches would just say, well, the NCAA spoken, we're done with it. That's it. No, right. he was willing to talk about it. And I, and I, you know, I, I appreciate that from, from Bakich a lot. He was willing to confront it, say that it was wrong, say that, you know, Weiss had been talked to and, uh, and that it wasn't something that was endemic to the program or something they wanted you know, wanted their pitchers to do. So, I, so I, I mean, I, I mean, it was, it's whatever, man. I mean, does, does yeah. anyone in this town can't go. I mean, remember Kenny Rogers against Yankees? Yankees fans are still mad about that. The pearl clutching <laughs> over this issue when, like, it happens all the time in baseball. Baseball is just like, there's so many games, there's so many innings. Everyone's trying to like, get, like, a little bit of edge. They they, hey, they yeah. steal each other's it's signs all the time. Right? Yeah, I mean this is uh, it's baseball. Come on, I mean this is this is how the game has always been. Now I I get like you know he got caught and you shouldn't probably shouldn't have done it and like I don't think that he was like you know it wasn't an accident that stuff was on there right. Right. But the pearl clutching over this is just so over the top. Like oh my god, Michigan shouldn't be allowed to win the Big Ten after that. The guy faced two batters in the whole like. Big ten so tournament. listen, so I understand. I'm not, I'm not versed in the, in the art of pitching. But guys, guys conceal this. The, the ump handles the baseball a lot, right. 
right? How do you, how do you, was he just, did he, was he just putting like globs of it on? Was he obvious? No, what they see, so it's like, so you put it on your glove and then like you touch your glove a little bit before you go to pitch. And there's never enough to do anything but make your fingers a little bit tacky. And they, what they noticed was him touching his glove. So like in, in that motion of touching the glove before you go pitch, like that's what they saw. And, you know, Iowa points it out right away and the umpires go look at the glove and the glove is a little sticky and that's it. It reminds me of the Bob Euchre thing in Major League, I guess, when he announces the pitch and he goes, Vaseline ball. <laughs> I thought of that movie immediately. There's, a, there's, a, there's another scene, Sam, from that movie that I'm not going to repeat the whole line, but when the old picture's showing Ricky Vaughn, he's got different substances on his desk. Everywhere. Yeah. All over, he's got you know feminine products and other products. Yeah, there's a great line from that movie that uh, definitely jumped in my head. Yeah, he had it in his hair. He had it in his nose. He reached in his shorts. <laughs> he has stuff everywhere, man. And, and I guess, I guess, there's an art to it, right? There's an art to concealing how you apply whatever tacky substance you're applying. There's an art to concealing that and not to say that we're trying to, or I'm trying to uh, advise him on how to how to cheat the system, but it seems like his his concealment wasn't what it needed to be. Fair to say, <laughs> right, Seth? Yeah, yeah. Like, they're they'll get better at it, man. Like, you know, a couple of years in the Astros farm system will be great. <laughs> <laughs> so, so all right. So, call your shot. I mean, what kind of damage do you guys see him doing in the NCAA tournament? I mean, is this can this piecemeal? sort of approach is that sustainable i'm talking about pitching is that sustainable because they're going to hit like this this squad there's enough of a sample space over the course of the season say they're gonna hit can they can they you know give up five runs instead of seven runs a game i mean is that sustainable for this team Uh. (laughs) my my opinion is no i mean my opinion is that that uh, the chances of them getting out of out of the regional are slim. Uh, I just I don't see it happening. I just don't think the pitching is good enough. I think it's. I mean, you got to give them credit and and Bakich credit, Bakich credit over what they've done this year. Uh, they're a fun team to watch. I mean, they got eight guys who can hit uh, hit the ball. I mean, Clark Elliott's had a phenomenal year. Seems like a really smart kid and. Uh, Fry and Bertram, Obertop, Flores, Burton, Joey Velasquez has come okay, off. Okay, I was, man, I was wondering when you were going to get to Joey V. And, and, <laughs> and has played well. I mean, they can hit the ball and uh, and they have power too. I mean, they've hit home. I mean, you don't hit home runs at Fisher very often, but they've hit home runs at Fisher because Fisher is a, more of a pitcher's park, which makes the Michigan ERA even more. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, did, profound given the fact that that Fisher is a is a is a pitcher's place, and so uh, no, I don't see him doing anything in this tournament. I see them giving up way too many way too many runs. That's bulletin board material, Craig Ross. I'm going to give them more, man. I, I I felt like the balls were a little juicy in uh, in <laughs> Omaha. Like there are. Some of those Michigan home runs, it looks like a fly ball off the bat, and then it's just like that's gonna carry. Oh my god! Like that, it felt like the like some hits were going out that like your you know baseball brain does not expect to go out. Even the bunts, like their squeezes were awesome. 
But one yeah. of the reasons your squeezes were so awesome was that ball was just flying off the bat when they when it hit it. It it just um it's gonna be a really tough regional too. Like it's there's a lot of hitting teams. Like Louisville is one of the better hitting teams. Yeah. Oregon's a big hitting Oregon team. Can hit. uh, yeah. So I mean you could win these games nineteen to eight, but you know, they're I, I don't trust their pitching at all. It always just feels like, you know, the next pitch is just gonna start like a bad series of hits and hit batters and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, someone get, get some feedback on this real quick. Deke Tuck 17 yeah. says pitching is bad everywhere this year. Uh, Mark Lewis makes another point. He said, we also gave up 50 unearned runs yeah. this year as well. So yeah, I was going to bring that up. I looked in the big 10 while our ERA was 7.76. The number of runs given up was 8.5 plus. So really uh, in the big 10, we were given up all, you know, pushing an extra run unearned run a game um there's some you know some problems there although scoring i'll have to say this the way the scoring is in college baseball is you know it's completely uh random and so uh whether something is a hit or an error or not is often head scratching the uh uh anyway yeah if the pitching is bad everywhere if that's true and that's something i don't know i'll let's assume it is maybe it's a baseball function maybe it's some i mean there's been a lot of noise about that in the in the major leagues this year where there's been no hitting mm-hmm. where teams are pushing the the mendoza line as uh in the in major league baseball this year as a team batting average right uh, so yeah, i mean the, the ball changes are you know can can impact impact the game well we will certainly see right uh, it'll it'll be fun to watch to see if this team can go on a run it's going to be fun to watch the transitioning now. Uh, Michigan basketball next year, even with these two guys staying in the draft. Because uh, if I had told you before the season, you're going to have one of Musa Diabate, Caleb Houston, or Hunter Dickinson back. I don't know that anyone, I don't know of anyone who would have predicted that that one was going to be Hunter Dickinson. So if you look at it from that perspective, uh, Brian, I mean, it's it's not all bad. I think Ross team was like, oh, Michigan got hit harder than anyone. <coughs> I, this is the kind of hit, if you had your choice, this would be the hit that you would take. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, frankly, both those guys were guys who had high potential and would have loved to get either back. But in terms of their on-court production, Michigan isn't losing like the equivalent of two NBA first round picks really. So I think if they can find a couple of guys, you know, getting Dickinson back is, is huge. Obviously, I mean, on the college level, he's, he's the star. So just got to find someone who can shoot a bench shooter. I, th- I know that uh, Craig has been gr- bringing up Joey Baker. Who's a grad transfer from Duke, Jacob Grandison, from yeah, Illinois, Anderson, yeah. just withdrew from the NBA draft and will spend his extra year in the portal. Um, well, won't spend the year in the portal, but is in the portal. So, and then there's some mid-major guys out there, and you, I think, you know, I think Terrence Williams and Cheddar can probably hold down the four spot, and that's just like, you got Jed at the three, and you just need another guy in the backcourt, and you have an extra scholarship open that you can play with, whatever you want. Do you guys agree with with my belief that you know, coming in, even if the rankings don't say it, that you're getting a more versatile offensive player in uh, in, in Jet this year compared to Caleb coming in last year? Well, if Jet can hit anything off the move, then yes. 
<laughs> um, I mean, that's not that's not supposed to be a joke. It's it's true. I mean, if uh, this if he's able to relocate, if he's able to get himself shots, then yeah, I think he's a more versatile offensive player. And I think it's always good to have sophomores instead of relying on freshmen every year. But he's a guy who's proven himself at the highest level in a context where he's not the guy who you kick it out to after Cade Cunningham creates a uh, shot. Well, let me go out, <coughs> excuse me, a little bit on a limb on this. Is I watched a lot of Caleb Houston last year, a lot he of did. his tape, and was not particularly impressed. Uh, and I watched a lot of Jet, uh, and I think uh, Jet is a better player. I think he's a better player coming in than Caleb was coming in. Uh, now, maybe Caleb's uh, uh, ceiling is higher. I don't know. I guess we'll see. We're not going to see at Michigan. I was hopeful that we we would see what a lot of other people saw. Uh, but I, I'll I'll say this now. I never said it all year. There there was a name in the back of my head when I saw Caleb Houston, and it was Cam Chapman. Uh-huh. And uh, and and that's and and that's sort of what I saw. And I didn't want to say it, uh, but that's sort of what I saw. And, and so the jet, I'm not seeing that jet. I'm seeing a guy who is a more rounded player, not a great athlete, but probably a better athlete than Caleb. Can you say uh, that in the hot take voice, Craig? I mean, if, if you're, gonna- <laughs> <laughs> I can't do, I don't know how you guys do that. It hurts my, it hurts my throat my <laughs> to do that. <laughs> oh, it hurts. Yeah. It's, it's a painful experience. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not painful for me listening to it, but I can't imagine myself doing it. I have to be yeah. on the board modulating Brian as he goes because he starts really low. Like, <laughs> do you guys buy what, at least to me, seems like the NIL effect on bigs in college basketball? Because you got Hunter, you got Baycott at North Carolina, you have Shwebe at Kentucky. Now you have Drew Timmy at Gonzaga. These are not the, you know, the NBA prototype big now, where they want a fully switchable guy, uh, you know, that can, can run the floor, block shot, be a rim protector. You know, they, these are not that guy. So now, if you're one of those guys, you come back to college, get more NIL money, or as much anyway, at least, NIL money as you could get G League money, come back and be the, and be the man on campus. For another year, do you think that that is that is maybe the NIL effect, the NIL benefit to college basketball that you're going to be able to keep bigs back, specifically bigs back? Because look at the names I just mentioned. Yeah, I I, I completely believe that. I don't think Hunter Dickinson is back in college this year if NIL doesn't exist, right? Like he's going to make more at Michigan than he would anywhere else in the world. So obviously, even if he's just making a, a base calculation and he's not thinking about making Tom Izzo eat his own liver. This is a smart <laughs> move for him. And then you get the bonus of making Tom Izzo eat his own liver. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's, this is something that is good for college basketball because you want Sheboy back. You want Dickinson back. You want Timmy back. You want a guy like Iggy Brasdakis back. If that's going to be a possibility, because you know, Brasdakis went to the G league for, two, three years before catching on in any capacity in the NBA. So I think you're going to see more guys come back. And 
I think we have two developments going on right now that are one's pretty bad for college basketball, which is rampant portal stuff. And one's pretty good for college basketball, which is you're getting some of your stars back. I have two thoughts to that. One is it sure seems like Illinois is doing the NIL thing better than we are somehow. Hmm. And, uh, for, and two is, why don't we all wear shirts on the round table that just say NIL on them and then get money directly from NIL and cut out the middleman? Never mind. I didn't say that. <laughs> did you work on this joke? <laughs> I did. And I did told you, it to my wife and she said, do not say that. It's the stupidest thing anybody ever said. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what somehow you when you read message boards that's what it sounds like sometimes so like because we're because we're like promoting nil like a, like a like a catch-all kind of yeah i mean the i this is one of the things i noticed while writing the um recruiting uh articles for like the 2022 recruits so i was doing mason graham and i'm like michigan fans are just gonna love this guy's personality like you read mm -hmm. some of his quotes and you're like michigan like it not because he's a nice guy, it's because he's a Chase Winovich, you know? He's just a... These personalities in college stick out. And until you're um, starting in the NBA and actually, like, having a major effect, that's not going to happen in the NBA. But that's part of your value when it comes to NIL, too. And Hunter Dickinson's a great example. I mean, he's not just a big player on the on the court. He's not just an important player who's more valuable to a college team in the college game because of how the college game how the college game is played, but his personality off the court. And he's like a, you know, a person that fans get behind. Um, that kind of thing is valuable in college. That's one of the factors too. I think you have two perfect examples of how NIL is working right now with Dickinson and with Diabate. Cause Diabate is a guy who's, he's going to be an NBA player. And his value was that he had all this uh, twitchy talent and he's going to just be, you know, awesome for an NBA team because you can do things with him you can't do with most centers. And that's the kind of guy who goes to the NBA early, and you're not going to get much value out of him in college. Whereas Dickinson, it's a perfect example of a guy that NIL opens up college to keep and makes the college game better. Just off the field, on the court, it's better for everybody that he's in college. The yeah. problem with, with Musa, of course, is it sounds like he's not getting drafted. Because and and he tested off the charts. Someone's going to draft him. You think <laughs> Someone's so? going to draft he, him. Yeah. He, he test he tested off the charts. The guy but, that they you know, that you want's going to go, you know, at fifteen, and you're going to look around and be like, okay, I'm I'm building a team for the future too. It's I mean, having that guy in your back pocket is uh, that's too good a value to pass up in the first round. I I tend to agree with you, and I'm surprised that that none of the mocks have have him going even in the second round. Even if he goes in the second, though, I just I, the bet on his athleticism is pretty safe, in my opinion. <laughs> Especially if you're like the Heat, if you're the Heat and you can put him behind, you know, or you can you can bring him up in the program and have you know Bam Adebayo be his his model, or he, or Boston, and he can come up behind you know their guys. For instance, and Al Horford, especially, or I mentioned Utah with, you, with Rudy Gobert, mm -hmm. you you can put him in a scenario where he's watching the guy that he's going to play like and, and really cultivate. Because you can't, you hear the cliche all the time, you can't teach what he can do. You you can't teach what he can do physically. If he can be a decent shooter, just decent, not great, 
you know, can he can he shoot like he shot at the combine, which is a big if, right? But if he can do that, he can play in the NBA for a long, long time. Long, long time. So I think he's going to be fine. I'm more concerned. How about this? I'm more concerned about Caleb. And Caleb yeah. is the one you talked about as a first-round pick. Like, I could see him being a first-round pick. And it's a and <clears throat> he, his model is Duncan Robinson. He's not a 3-and-D guy. Mm-hmm. He's a 3-guy. <laughs> but he's, he but he has he didn't shoot it like Duncan in high school. I mean, he didn't shoot it like Duncan in Michigan. So he still has he to didn't shoot it like Duncan in, in high school either. He he made his shots, but they were wide open set shots. And Duncan Robinson, the reason why he's so valuable to an NBA team is he can get his shot from anything. And that's I mean that's the ability that he creates. And Caleb Houston's shown absolutely none of that. Well, that's yeah, who, we've... That's, who you, that's who you, uh, Brian. That's who he. If you draft him, that's who you think he's going to be, right? He's not a three and D guy. He's a three guy. Uh, I think he has better defensive potential than Robinson. I mean, Robinson was hideous at Michigan, and um, <laughs> Houston improved over the course of the year, where he was very bad to start. But you could see him kind of round into a decent defender halfway through the year, which Robinson never did in four years at Michigan. So I think that he has better potential on that end of the floor. But, <clears throat> I mean, as Seth mentioned, I mean, look at what Robinson's doing in the NBA where he's getting, like, if he starts, he's getting off eight threes a game. But I just don't see Houston being able to do any of that. Like, and maybe that's something he's going to be able to develop over the next couple of years, but I think it's going to be a while before he emerges into even a rotation player in the NBA. So um, I, I don't know what... NBA team that has guaranteed him is thinking. Um, I don't know if it's Steinbrenner come back from the grave, being like, "Oh, I'm an <laughs> Ohio State fan. Let's let's mess with Michigan." <laughs> but I, yeah. I mean, I, I try not to be too strident about this because, of course, my Jordan Bull take was terrible. But uh, <clears throat> I, I just don't get it, and I think everybody on this uh, podcast is in the same boat. Yeah, in the same boat. But hopeful, hopeful that because I want to be clear. I want him to be successful. My concern is, is that if he doesn't show like really rapid improvement as a three point shooter, that they're going to be done. Like you, 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 I think you bet on athleticism for a while. Like you roll with that for a while. You try for that for a while. But if, if you're a shooter and you don't start shooting it quick, fast and in a hurry, even at the G league level, they're like, see ya. I just hope it doesn't. I hope it's not like that for him. Well, I, you know, I think we're all rooting for him. I, uh, you know, to succeed. We we want him to be a success, and we want him to be a good, you know, a good player and have a career. Um, and I don't know what it's going to take to get to get him from point A to point B exactly. I mean, it may be he ends up playing in Europe. It may be, you know, he gets there at at, at some point in time. But it, I'm with you and Brian that. It, it's, you know, the short run, it's, it's hard to see, but obviously, I mean, I saw the, the one by the most recent one from yesterday had him number 25 to San Antonio. You know, I was thinking since Oklahoma city had a flock of picks, they, they, they would take a shot at him and try and, and try and develop him. But obviously the NBA is seeing something in his game that they think translates. Um, that's for sure. Now that I will disagree on Duncan Robinson's defense. I agree that for three and a half years, he wasn't very good. His last half of his senior <laughs> year beeline put him on big guys. He he no longer was checking wing players and he, and, and he put him down on, but on that's still a defensive centers. liability. <laughs> well, mean, he wasn't bad. No, he was competent. 
in the last half of no, the No, but I'm saying year, if you have to yeah. if they have to push you down a level, if you have to guard fours yeah. instead of threes, yeah. that's that makes that means you're a defensive liability because it means you're guarding somebody less athletic. Yeah, I that yeah, I agree with that, Seth. But he but but functionally he became a functional defensive piece at Michigan in, in, in the last half of his last year when they decided uh we gotta put him we gotta have him on the court, but we gotta put him on 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 bigger, slower guys. I mean so, yeah, I think go ahead. Go ahead, Brian. Does this change the way you think Michigan should approach recruiting? Because that's a great question. Like Caleb Houston was all right as a freshman and now he's gone if he, caleb houston is six foot five he's probably still in college and he's not ranked in the top 10 he's probably ranked 40th or whatever and that to me seems like a better player maybe not as a freshman maybe he struggles a little bit more getting a shot off as a freshman but then you get him for a couple more years down the road that seems more valuable to me than like the top 10 player i mean this you sound like john beeline I mean, uh, well, I'm not saying like go yeah, I'm way not, off not the a board. criticism. I'm saying yes, you're you're right. Where was Jordan Poole rated? He was outside the top 100. Yeah, right around. But Poole needed development. Our whole, I, I, yeah. people are forgetting the whole takes on Poole was not yet. Not it. We no one was saying Poole. You're not an NBA player. Everyone thought Poole was an NBA player. NBA player. We were just like stick around, man. Spend one more year here, and you could be in the top of the draft. And he did take a number of years to kind of round into the player he is today. So yeah. maybe in an NIL world, he does stay. But that right. wasn't the world that well, he was in. And he went to the perfect franchise. Like, right. I, yeah. I don't think you can discount how, how beneficial to his development it was and how much it, it sort of played into the kind of player, the kind of mentality. <laughs> Everything about... About JP at Michigan and John Beeline with shot selection, man. It was like, <laughs> man, that's not a, that's not a concern at Golden State. You shoot any shot at Golden State, right? So he went to the perfect club with the perfect role models, and he and he also obviously is is really talented. So it was it was a great scenario, and, and hopefully, you know, these guys, Moose and Caleb, have a, a similar circumstance. I mean, one of the teams. You mentioned OKC. The other team with three first-round picks is the San Antonio Spurs, uh, Craig. And that was the team that they were talking about taking them at 25. That would be, be a great landing spot for, for Caleb. And it makes sense that those teams, like if there's a promise being made, which is the rumor, that it would be one of the teams with three first-round picks, right? Sure. You got to – you got the, the – the, you know, you, you got the, the, the excess – if you will, and if and if you've used two of them, and Musa Diabate is still on the board, you're breaking that promise in a heartbeat. <laughs> or at least I am. <laughs> and, but you got you got if it's those two teams, which is the speculation, and that's six picks. That's six picks, and and the rumor is that one of those teams made them a promise, or maybe both of them. I don't I, I don't yeah. know, but I guess well, I would feel a little better about it if we're talking about between two teams and six picks in the first round. Yeah, I mean, if you've got three first-round picks, the third one is probably going to be a guy you want to stash in the G League for a little bit. So that fits really either Houston or Diabate. Yeah, yeah. And but isn't Brian's big point a pretty good one? That is, maybe you're better off drafting in the forty to one hundred and twenty range, or drafting recruiting in the forty to one hundred and twenty range. Uh, you know, as opposed to 
a, a top 10 or 20 kid who you can only keep for a year anyway. Um, I mean, is that, <clears throat> I mean, I think it depends on like what, who we're talking about here. Like if you can get Bonchero or Chet, I think you go get Bonchero and Chet, but there's a sort of like second tier. Like who is the, the kid at North Carolina? Nasir White? Nasir Little. Nasir we played Little, that yeah. team and he played 20 minutes in that game and he wasn't good. Like he was not a good player. But they they played that kid twenty minutes a game, despite the fact that he couldn't really play. And then he went the, he went like in the lottery because he's a ridiculous athlete who's six foot six. So I think it's the shape of the player that you're really looking at. And the thing with Houston is he's the shape of the player where you're like, yeah, we'll take him even if it's for a year because yeah, who couldn't use forty five percent three point shooting? And then he comes in below expectations that the NBA doesn't care. Because there's only a limited number of people shaped like they can play in the NBA, and he's still shaped like he's, he can play in the NBA. And you're going to see the same thing with Patrick Baldwin. Patrick Baldwin was one of the worst players in college basketball. Yeah, he was, he was terrible. He, he was shot terrible. like 4% from three, and he's still going to go in the first round. So, like, I think you like, you want to yeah. look away from guys who have obvious NBA bodies. So you, you're, you're saying, you're, you know, that a guy like Jaden Ivey is a – who is like six four, six five? Is the guy that that you would be most inclined toward? Well, Ivy's a, Ivy's maybe not the best example because he's also he a ridiculous like athlete. But yeah. I don't think he was ranked in five star territory. He, no, yeah, not he even not close. close. He he was, uh, and I I think they they tracked his first dunk in EYBL as like a junior. Like yeah. it was crazy. So it, well, it, then. He, Keegan Murray is the same way, right? Like he's, and then Nick Stauskas is in the same boat where you bring these yeah. guys in, they have a pretty good freshman year and then they dominate as sophomores. So you get guys coming from off the board, but you, you have those guys, they have to have the year where they absolutely blow up before they go. And with Caleb Houston, the college year or Diabate, the college year where he absolutely blows up isn't on the table, you know? You could get that from either of those guys next year, but instead they're going to go to the league. I think in part because they would be in danger if they came back next year and they didn't blow up. Like if Caleb Houston has a first round guarantee now, you take it. Cause if he comes back and he's the same player next year, then, you know, I don't think he's getting drafted. So in some, in some sense, this is a defensive move from one or both. Mm. Well, I want to, so we're, what we're going to do is we're just going to go straight through it. I don't want to miss. Uh, Craig's last because last week you were you were finishing the podcast with a couple of softball questions. I promised you that we would get to them this week, and I don't want to get out of this show without having you giving you the opportunity uh, to to jump back in because we now you know have the confirmation that you know, three uh, major contributors uh, and the, maybe the biggest contributor on the roster are all in the portal. When you talk about Hannah Carson. Uh, Weidra and uh, of course Alex Strzok in the in the, uh, in the portal for Michigan. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what's going on. It and Hutch hasn't spoken to this. I don't think at all. Uh, and it's a mystery to me. It was a mystery to me why they lost Lou Allen last year. Lou Allen was a top ten or twenty recruit. Didn't really do too much at Michigan, and then last year she broke out and was Michigan's best hitter. Uh, and then she's gone. Now, it's not like she's going to, to uh, Oklahoma. She's going to Liberty. And so she goes to Liberty, and there's, no, and there's no comment from anyone about 
why in the world she's at liberty. Uh, and now this year, you can sort of understand Hannah Carson going, perhaps, because there may be a scholarship crunch. And there's this uh, kid, Lily Valancourt, who's a top 10 player in the country and a catcher. Uh, but still, Carson was your cleanup hitter. And, uh, and, and Weidra was the player of the year in Alabama last year. She looks like she was a definite part of Michigan's future. Uh, she also is a pitcher, and they're losing Bobian. And uh, as it turns out, also Starocco. And so she might have been their, their number one pitcher next year. And she's also a hitter. Uh, she's gone. And worse is the worst is Starocco. So now they're down with Starocco in the, you know, is Starocco going because she's pissed about Carson? I don't know. I mean, I have no idea what's going on yeah, here. I, I'd hate. I'd hate to yeah, speculate. Yeah, I mean, about. it's a complete speculation, but it seems odd that <clears throat> that this team would lose three players for next year who were all absolutely key to their to their to their to their future success. Now, like I say, you can understand Carson. The other two are hard to understand. Uh, now they're they're right now the pitching looks like Durkowski, and that's it. Uh, now they do have. I will say this, and we we. They do have a phenomenal recruiting class coming in. They've got two top 10 kids, uh, uh, Lily of uh, Valancourt, and they've got a, another top 10 kid who's uh, I've got it written down somewhere. Well, um, as you're finding it, Craig, I, I yeah. guess I was, my, my first reaction is um, it's not surprising that we haven't heard commentary on uh, players hitting the portal like like Lou Al. I mean, it, this is not like this is this is new territory for softball. <laughs> yeah. I think I think you would agree that it's not typical that there's softball analysis on this level. I talked to Hutch about this in an interview. We we're watching one of the games, I think, in the Big Ten tournament, and they were just beside themselves, uh, sort of second guessing Hutch's decision to go to. I think it was Weidra. Instead of Alex Duraco. And I was like, well, wow, this is different. You know, they're 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 second guessing Hutch. You're getting deep analysis uh, on this level on softball. So this is my point is that, you know, it's the sport is is moving to a level where now I think we're going to start hearing them talk about, you know, things. And this is what's minutia. Uh, in the in the eyes of many in the past is major frontline news to people now when you have softball top softball players going to the portal so it's not that it's it's not that abnormal to me to for them to for her to not comment on Lou Allen last year maybe Starocco I expect at some point we'll hear some some comment on Starocco sure. yeah one would think uh, we'd hear something at least the uh, but yeah outside of Valancourt uh, the other uh, kid is uh, Avery Fantucci, who's a top 10 player in the country. And incidentally, Seth talked, I think, of some about this last week on the uh, on, on the power slash speed thing. Michigan has been sort of a speed team, quote speed team this year, but mm. they really gained nothing from their speed. I mean, I think they were like 14 of 19 or nine, you know, in stolen bases or something like that, which is essentially a break even. Uh, they lost a bit uh, from the opposition on stolen bases, but they gained basically zero what I, this what year. What I was saying is, if you're yeah. going to be a small ball team and you're going to build your team yeah. for slap hitting, 
then you have to be aggressive on the base path. And they're not. They're not. They're a slap team that's not aggressive, which is just that that's just killing you. So and the way that softball is going now is is big swinging. So yeah. I would it would make sense. Like I understand what's going on is that they signed a great a big class and they only have twelve scholarships. They should open up to more scholarships for softball, but you know small yeah. teams don't want to do that. Small teams run the show. So it's it's an NCAA problem. I don't think it's a Michigan. I don't think that people are bailing from Hudges' program. Yeah. Okay. All right, that is gonna have to cut it because right. you, I don't know if you guys realize that we didn't take a break. <laughs> so, oh, I realized. I saw you jumping up and down, going break, 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 and we're just talking right through you. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Ira. <laughs> it was a marathon session, so we're gonna have to cut it now and uh, come back to you guys next week uh, for another spirited Immigrant Blog Roundtable.